views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the sky And welcome to New Abolitionist Radio A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate An issue of 21st century slavery Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist and Action Johanna Nelaya, and Black Talk Media Project founder, Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is October 19, 2016. We are five weeks into the largest nonviolent prison rebellion in U.S. history, and still not a peep from the media or any candidates. We'll report what we can, like this headline from independent media saying the law of prison slave labor means the loss of more than $600,000 every day of the strike. We'll offer our perspective on what the FBI director recently spouted to thousands of police. FBI Director James Comey has said people have no idea whether police shootings are getting worse despite outrage over the killings of black people. We are also saddened to report that the mother of Khalif Browder has died of a broken heart. 63-year-old Vanita Browder, the mother of Khalif Browder, the 22-year-old who killed himself after spending three unexplained years in New York City's Rikers Island jail without trial or conviction, has died. An explosive new report shows that the economic toll of incarceration in the U.S. exceeds $1 trillion, and more than half of that falls on the families and communities of the people incarcerated, says a recent study by Washington University researchers. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reports for every dollar in correction spending, there's another $10 for other types of costs to families, children, and communities that nobody sees because it doesn't end up on a state budget. Further, for the past two years, we've kept you updated on the epic prison scandal in Mississippi involving the entire state. Here's the latest groundbreaking news. Former Mississippi State Senator has pled guilty to bribery. Benjamin admitted in court that he paid bribes to former Corrections Commissioner Christopher Epps to obtain contracts at a state prison work centers and county jails. 
as we've been saying here for years, all of our efforts and dissipations are being confirmed. Human rights advocates say poor people are being denied justice because they can't afford a bond. A mass incarceration that includes thousands of defendants in Cook County Jail. 15 million people are locked up every year in the U.S. on criminal charges. For many, it is indefinite detention because they spend years just waiting to go to a trial. Activists call this mass incarceration a human rights crisis and say Cook County is one of the biggest offenders. Finally, the ACLU and the HRW call to decriminalize drug use and possession after documenting arrests every 25 seconds, as reported right here on New Abolitionist Radio. We'll play some of the footage from Democracy Now! and discuss their stance. We'll give you updates on the continuing ramifications of Ava DuVernay's powerful film, 13th, speak on the head of police chief's group who offered a fake-ass apology, and touch on as many important stories as time will allow. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Tony Wright, who walked out of the prison where he had spent 25 years of his life for a brutal crime he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in and join us at 1-641-715-3660. The access code is 549-032-POUND. If you're already on the conference line, just press star 6 and 1 to queue up. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Scotty? Hey, What's up, Max. Your Honor? Hey, Max. How are you? I'm good as best can be expected under these terroristic conditions. Let's get Johanan in here. Peace. Peace to the abolitionists. What's going on, y'all? Word, brother. Word. I uh, do have a request. You're alive, man. Yes, I I do have a request from you, Max. And um Yes, sir. Yeah, my request is I'm on I'm I haven't chosen an abolitionist. I can pull one up. But I have chosen one. And so I want to combine the story that you mentioned about the Slave Catchers Union uh, issuing an apology, and I want to combine that with my abolitionists in profile. I want to profile a living abolitionist who I had the pleasure of interviewing yesterday, and you know her uh, as they used to be a part of the Black Talk Radio Network, so that's Miss Jonina Abram Irvin uh, with Black Autonomy Federation, but a original Black Panther Party, and she gave her response to the apology from the slave catcher. So I want to profile her and cover that story all in one of that slave catcher issuing a, an apology. That sounds like a good plan. You know, I had the pleasure of meeting Sister Joe Nina. Uh, and Brother uh, Lorenzo while I was in Missouri at the uh, Cure Conference, uh, speaking as the the, uh, keynote speaker. We had a long conversation, and they told me uh, just how much in that, you know, meeting that I had convinced them of what I had been saying all along. So uh, I kind of opened their eyes to a a small degree, and I guess for someone who goes back that far, that's a heck of an accomplishment. So um, shout-out to Sister Jonina and Brother Lorenzo. I admire them greatly. Well, Scotty? Um, yeah, I'm just ready yeah. to get started with the program. As you know, you <laughs> and Johanan chose most of um, the stories. I'm not sure if I posted one or, or not. So there's plenty to talk about. 
um, you had mentioned something about you might need to do your own show, and I don't know if you saw my reply to that. Um, but yeah, there's just so much that cannot be shared all in two hours or or now an hour and 50 minutes since we have to end 10 minutes early so um yeah yeah we're growing the movement is growing and it needs documentation along the way and uh, i was just thinking maybe it'd be a good idea for Johanna to bring back the uh, abolitionist daily and maybe for me to put something together as well so we would have at least uh four programs really covering these uh topics because i'm also including black talk radio news because you do a fantastic job of keeping this in the limelight and I, i've been listening to some of your broadcasts recently man and uh definitely doing a great job an amazing uh perspective and uh i commend you greatly for it thank you max thank you well um we do have current is- slots open but uh some of those slots on like saturday's wide open um we we just brought some new programs they're not per se abolitionist program but they do you know focus on on our issues that do include that and you know we had spoke with i um one million black conscious voters and contributors and as you know they adopted as part of their plank the removal of the 13th amendment and i have been talking to them and they uh we're in discussions about uh them or that movement launching a three-hour program on saturday so uh got to pick out your slot man so you can get that time <laughs> All right, well, if you get a chance, brother, give me a call tomorrow during the day when you got some time, and we'll work it out, man, because I think it's necessary now uh, to keep up with the movement and what's going on. When we started this, brother, was nobody talking about this to the detail that we are now, and uh, now it's a worldwide perspective, abolition. I mean, it's really getting out there in the way that it should be. We've got senators talking about striking the exception clause from their state, like in Wisconsin, and... uh, disinvestment, divestment programs going on all across the country and even now the uh, Department of Justice as well as ICE talking about ending their contracts with private prisons. So it has grown by leaps and bounds in the past four years that we've been watching it from here. Well, I guess the first story that we can get on is an update on the prison strike, which is the largest uh, slavery rebellion, because that's what it is, the largest slavery rebellion in the United States history. I mean, even the times of Nat Turner didn't have this many people involved fighting against their own enslavement. And these are people from the inside that are fighting as well as people from the outside. Uh, shout out to organizations and groups that are risking their lives in order to make this happen. And they're, they're uh, family stability on the outside as well as on the inside. Well, speaking of that, from, Max, I'm yes, sorry. Uh, shout out to Free Ohio Movement, Free Mississippi Movement, Free Alabama Movement. But um, Sister Joe Nina in in um, uh, Black Autonomy Federation and Ida B. Wells Coalition. I think um, you or Johanan was working with them, but um, was providing support for. I know yesterday she mentioned, you know, the work that they provided in support of the Free Alabama movement. So they are definitely abolitionists. Indeed, brother. Indeed. Well, I'm uh, unless you got something to add further, I'm just giving the update on what's happening with the prison strike. And we were talking weeks ago about, you know, can we find any records that shows how much this is costing them? But we found one, and here it is. This comes from popularresistance.org. And it says the loss of prison slave labor means the loss of more than 600,000 
$1,000 every day of the strike. September 9, 2016 was the start of the largest prison strike in U.S. history. It was 72,000 incarcerated workers in 22 states refused to provide their labor to profit the prison industrial complex. California forces 5,588 incarcerated workers to labor in exchange for little or no compensation. Another 4,000 earn $2 a day fighting California wildfires with inadequate training and equipment. The prison system in California reaped $207 million in revenue and $58 million in profit from forced labor in 2014 and 15. Each incarcerated worker in California generates $41,549 annually in revenue for the prison system, or $10,238 in profit. The financial losses to the California prison system were as much as 636000 in revenue or $156,736 in profit for every day of the prison strike. Prison industries are managed by the California Prison Industry Authority, CalPIA, which has was created in 1983 based on model legislation written by the right-wing American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC. Uh, CalPIA operates manufacturing, service, and agricultural enterprises with 34 state prisons. CalPIA is restricted to selling its goods and services to state agencies. Pelican Bay State Prison has a contract with Del Norte School District to provide laundry services, for example. However, since 1990s, Proposition 139, Prison Inmate Labor Initiative, passed. Private businesses can also set up shop in prisons and subcontract incarcerated workers. Data for incarcerated workers in private prisons and county jails are difficult to obtain. Prison administrators have responded to nonviolent resistance by locking down facilities, cutting off access and communications to the outside world for incarcerated workers. IWOC has ascertained that three locations went on strike based on news reports and phone calls to prisons. Central California's women's facilities, CCWF, Merced County Jail, and Taft Correctional Institution. Approximately 212 incarcerated workers are employed by CCWF through CalPIA. Each incarcerated worker at CCWF generates $113 daily in revenue for the prison system, which amounts to $28 in profit. For every day of the prison strike at CCWF, the prison system lost $24,132 in revenue or close to 6000 in profit. Well, there's the story that came out of popular arrest, and it has the numbers that we've been asking about. And that's just for a few places. Yeah, as you said, we've been looking for a way to find out what the numbers are, trying to watch uh, some of the main numbers uh, numbers of the uh, companies that I know we've discussed and are still listed as, as using prison slave labor. Um, so it's been a challenge to uh to see you know what kind of immediate effect is having um so this was definitely a, a a help one of the or two other things that um i wanted to to mention as well that i've seen over the course of the week um one thing is what we talked about the cost to those that are in in the uh strike you know what cost people are pay, are paying for their their sacrifice, and uh, we've got a report that came 
that said that uh, possibly two people in uh, Michigan, uh, is it, uh, Ken Ken Ross uh, prison, that have they're saying basically were allowed to die. Um, that were known strikers, and we had talked about last week. We were getting reports of people that were known as organizers or even participants in the strike. Uh, the wardens bringing people in um, to talk to you know talk about it and saying you know there won't be any repercussions. Just tell us you know how we can help and just trying to get the confidence of some of the inmates. And then as soon as people you know cave and tell them whatever or even mention any knowledge of it. Then they go into solitary. They're getting shipped off to other locations. You know, all kinds of retribution is coming to, coming across. Um, Santa Clara County Jail. So we've seen on a county jail level also that uh, inmates or prison slaves are are joining the the hunger. You know, with hunger strikes, uh, even in places where they're maybe not quite at the point of having to do the labor. I don't know if all of these county locations are caught up in the actual because the county is like where they're waiting for their trial um, so a lot of them are, are kind of in that limbo stage I don't know how often the counties are involved in, in the corporate labor side of it but they're uh, joining the strike with, with uh, hunger strikes so it's definitely expanding you know um, something now makes um, sense to me since hearing this story from you guys about how much money they're losing from this strike and I think it would be important Max or, or Johanna whoever has the article can repeat the the, uh, the uh, dollar amount they're losing every day um, but that explains the desperation move the GEO, the GEO group just made with a total of two different two different campaign contributions to a super PAC supporting Donald Trump and it was it totaled a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, they just came out with it like 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 that. And of course, we know Donald Trump. You mentioned Wisconsin earlier, Max. I think about uh, somebody um, a, a legislator mulling over the exception clause that uh, permits slavery as punishment for crime. But when Donald Trump visited Wisconsin, one of the worst states for the incarceration of, of black males, although as abolitionists, we don't want to see anyone enslaved, but one of the worst states, and on um, um, on a stage there, given a town hall, he pledged his support for private prisons. He thinks they're great. So, um, yeah, this explains that. that. Was, uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was, I was just, I'm sorry, man. I was just going to say that was Senator uh, Lena Taylor, so shout out to Senator Taylor. Up there that's talking about removing. Yeah, that. I remember She's now. Yeah, the bill. yeah. I mm -hmm. think y'all covered that story last week on New Abolitionist Radio, I believe. Uh, but yeah, yes. Um, so that explains then that because one hundred and fifty thousand dollars is still one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then and we have reported on they've hired three lobbyist groups. Um, you know, to prevent the crushing or the abolishment of private prisons. So, yeah, we are in exciting times. We're seeing a lot of movements on the battle front against slavery. And when you see the people who are impacted by it the most, I think it just dispels myths and what have you uh, of people in struggle. Um, of how so many people are painted as being docile and just accepting of slavery and and well and certainly those individuals do exist but there has constantly constant constant rebellions against slavery on this continent going into the 21st century uh with this 
the largest prison strike in history. And, you know, uh, um, mentioning programs on Black Talk Radio Network on Cold Breakers, um, last week, Tuesday, um, one of the hosts who pays a lot of attention to the mainstream and whatnot and was saying that he hadn't been hearing anything. They were not covering the prison strikes whatsoever. And he said the only information he was getting was from Black Talk Radio and saying we were doing a good job of that. And and so um, now these were violent protests, like some of that violence depicted in, in that movie. What was the name of the movie with Nat Turner in it? Was it what Nat or Turner? Uh, I forget the name of the film. Um, Nat Turner, oh, I, I can't remember. Anyway, if some of that kind of violence was going on against slave catchers or, or plantation overseers and what have you, I bet you that will be running um, 24-7 on all the major news networks. And so they indict themselves by their silence of their complicity in 21st century slavery. Well, as we've talked about, one of the issues is the mainstream media, the news channels, the cable news channels that run constantly 24-7, a new news cycle comes, you know, every 36 hours, 48 hours, it's something new that's just, you forgot what was already, all those people are paid, obviously, by Wall Street corporations, just the same way as we don't have the money to control politics. We don't have the money to lobby, to create legislation, get legislation introduced. We don't have the capital individually, and we're not coming together collectively to create our own candidates and produce money to uh, get them entered into these uh, political races. I mean, we're looking at the money that's going on with uh, between Clinton and Trump, and they said Hillary Clinton has outspent Trump by well over $100 million just on political advertising. So these kind of numbers are well beyond what the average individual is going to do. And even with, you know, efforts like what's been going on with Black Talk Radio Network for several years, with several grassroots organizations, thousands of organizations all over the country, uh, alternative media, Internet, I mean, everything we're throwing at the beast, the beast still has the money and the power to guide the narrative. So Wall Street pays for those ads. That's why there's channels. That's why we're at peak TV now. There's there's thousands of channels because there's so much programming. Literally programming people that's on 24-7 365. And all of those stations are, are alive because they're generating ad revenue. So that's why you don't see the story. That's why I'm just saying all this to say that's why you don't see this story because those companies are obviously the ones AT&T like we talk about their CEO coming out a couple of weeks ago and getting these pats on the back from the mainstream, pushing up their stock price in a time where it's a so-called war on cops because people are saying black lives matter, because people are saying stop killing us, there's a death every one every 28 hours of an innocent unarmed black person, probably even worse than that. When you see in high profile killings of mentally ill elderly people, the Bronx just last night, uh, this is October 19th, so what, October 18th for people in the future uh, listening to the podcast. Bronx, just uh, just uh, October 18th, 66-year-old woman. Cops walk into her house. They said, I mean, this is their report that they're giving. 
saying they walked into the house after somebody gave a call that said she was acting erratically. So this is the same mental health issue that we're seeing in hundreds of cases around the country. They walk into the house. She had a knife. Told her to drop the knife. She drops the knife. Picks up a bat. Standing there with a bat in her hand. Cop shoots her two times in the chest. She dies. Like, and and she and, and brother uh, Johanna, I don't mean to interrupt you. And they knew she had no, a history because no, no. they had dealt with her before and talked her down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is this is what's going on in the day to day, and you're not seeing any talk about the prison strike. You're not seeing certain stories come out in this kind of a climate because these people have the money to pay for the commercials. They have the money to keep these networks on the air. I talk to these people through Twitter and social media all day, every day. They will respond to some mindless, jokey joke type comment or reply or something you put to something they say. They'll they'll give it a like or something or say something back and haha and kind of keep the conversation or whatever. But you ask them something about. I ask them every day. I ask all of them every day that I could think of. Will you say something to your network? Will you try to to report on the prison strike? They're going to uh, Las Vegas tonight for the debates. There's several channels. We're talking about showing their booths. They got open, and they're going to be, we can't wait. And that's all I'm commenting through the whole course of this week. Will you please say something about the national prison strike, showing them pictures, sending photos, on and on. Not a response from any of them. And it'll be 10 or 12 people that see those comments that know about it too, and will also retweet that information. And no response from any kind of broadcast, you know, media yeah, networks. That's None. Been my, that's been it my experience. a lot of their uh, sponsors who use prison slave labor. Right, and, and the fact that MSNBC is directly profiting uh, from uh, modern-day slavery at home in prison, which was the birth of the Free Alabama movement. And with their prison, because I did a segment on BTR News about it, uh, they got a, they're highly rated uh, I call it slavery reality program. It's called Lockup, I, I, if I remember correctly. But that's on MSNBC. So that's why Joy yeah. Reid or A&E any, has 60 yeah. days in, too. They're doing the same thing. I meant to mention that to you on the program when you were uh, talking about it on BTR yeah, it, It's just so disgusting, uh, Max and, and your brother's it's just, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. Speaking of disgusting, uh, let's get on to that, the next story because it is disgusting. And it's with the uh, head of the director of the FBI talking about how they have no idea, and the public has no idea, if police are targeting black people unfairly. Like, you can't just Google it and see. Like, there hasn't been hundreds of studies going on. Like, The Guardian hasn't been keeping track and killed by police hasn't been keeping track. The only people who have not been keeping track is the police department. So there's a clip that's on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, Scotty, if you want to uh, go ahead and play that, it's very short. It's his own words, uh, Director Comey, uh, what he feels about us not knowing anything. Give me just a moment as I get logged in to uh, btrcommunity.com which is one of the web properties, full disclosure, of the Black Talk Media Project, which runs the Black Talk Radio Network, hence the name BTR Community. I saw 
uh, where you posted that, Max, and I had posted that to my uh, profile on BTR Community, that story uh, separately. And, you know, he's just a liar, man. He, he's a liar. And and they do have, in, in the 1990s, the Clinton administration and, and the Republicans did pass legislation to to uh, require law enforcement departments to report fatalities, homicides when somebody is killed by a police officer. But it wasn't a, it, it, it wasn't a law. It was a recommendation, you know. So that ain't worth nothing. It ain't worth the paper that they push, you know, through to get that out there. And and so. Um, he is just a liar and again this is the man that totally whitewashed the clinton investigation into her handling of intelligence i don't even want to get off all to that so this man has no credibility and he certainly didn't help it uh with this ridiculous statement i mean man even though we criticized corporate media and max you have an issue with them particularly with profiting off these snuff films you know here's the snuff film and then here is some detergent called snuggles and got the little teddy bear and and, and what have you but i mean even if he was just watching that he would be informed about it so i mean wow um, I'm trying to find it. Um, let me see. It's in the group, right? Uh, right at the top of New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook if you need to look there. Okay. Um, no, I prefer to be on BTR. Uh, let me get to... Uh, Why are you looking for that? Why are you looking for the clip? I'll also mention, as you said, they made a suggestion for that. The FBI made suggestions. Same things with these uh, DOJ reports that come out on city to city showing patterns and practice of racist policing, race-based right. policing, um, racial profiling, profiting off of off of uh, the, you know extorting the people. All these kind of things are always recommendations and then they have an option of following through on it. If they don't, then they can look for some kind of sanction from the FBI, have to pay some kind of fines. I mean, it's all so much bull, man. It's just smoke and mirrors. And it's something that came to my attention the other day. I was listening to uh, um, uh, Sister uh, Elizabeth Hinton that I'm going to try to find her book, but she's one of these, you know, talented 10th Harvard professors. She's got a book out that's talking about the beginning of the uh, the mass incarceration problem being also rooted in the war on poverty. And so, you know, I've been trying to get up to speed on her information and, and whatnot, but something that she mentioned that I did take away goes along with this what you said they give a policy they give a suggestion they give a study they give a you know they do all these things that are not actual actions they just make it look like they're doing something when it's things that would benefit us when it would help people when it would be humane but when they want to address issues like we're going to do the war on drugs well clinton wrote into law we're going to hire a million police officers and that was the end of it and when fund you it, yeah, it. and fund it and pay for right. it. You'll write our law and you'll fund it and it will change this situation. I mean, how clear does it have to be, people? They make a suggestion that they monitor the killings and for the last 20 years, they never comply. It's only like 20% of 17,000, nearly 18,000 jurisdictions in different departments of law enforcement around the country. It's only like 20% that even comply and give their numbers. These magazines and newspapers that are recording the numbers are getting them off of Google Alerts, just like we do Google Alerts pr primarily to get the information for this program. So this is really rudimentary. You can do simple Google Alerts, and you'll be able to follow it day to day and keep a decent and, number. And, yo, Han, and before we play this liar's um, uh, clip... 
you don't even, the difference here is you wouldn't even have to provide any funding for it. You just take the funding away. You tie it to the federal funding. Like I've heard compliance, right. Yeah, you, and, and there I have seen some community groups. I can't recall their names. That's not important, but people working towards justice and freedom has tied that to or made that demand on the Obama administration that they start withholding these grants that's militarizing the police. But that's a way right there to compel compliance, not a suggestion, but a law. If you want these federal block grants that we give you to fight the 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 um, um, racist drug war to um, enforce immigration. See, all every police officer or sheriff's deputy has been federalized. It's already it's if they're accepting federal money to carry out federal mandates, then they are federalized. So there is no difference between local, state. All they're all the same. They're all the same. So uh, Comey um, probably had on paper has far more education than I have, and this is just simple logic. So if, if y'all want to go into this clip, I'm ready. Uh, you want to take a break first? We're about five minutes into a uh, 30-minute hour, 30 uh, minutes on the hour? Certainly, we could do that and then go straight into his clip. All right. When we come back on the other side, we'll play the clip. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're going to go right into this clip from Director Comey uh, talking about how we don't know anything. The leaders we need know that many good people, people of goodwill in this country, decent, caring people, believe with all their hearts that American law enforcement is using deadly force against black people at epidemic levels. The leaders we need know that Americans believe that because those are the videos that they see over and over and over again. To these Americans, people of goodwill and good hearts, each video becomes further proof of an epidemic nationwide police brutality. People of goodwill are protesting, including here in San Diego, because they believe there's an epidemic of police violence against black people. Of course, however good their hearts, however well-intentioned they may be, Americans actually have no idea whether the number of black people or brown people or white people being shot by police is up, down, or sideways over the last three years, five years, ten years. They have no idea whether black people or brown people are more likely to be shot during encounters than white people are. There's actually some recent research by a Harvard economist focused on 10 major departments that analyzed over 1,000 shootings by police that showed the surprising result that lethal force was more likely to be used against white people, 
while non-lethal force is more likely to be used against black people. But we really don't know well enough. I think that is the end of the click right there. Yeah, that's the end of it, man. So again, like I said, you sound kind of muffled, Max. What were you saying? I, I said you heard it in his own words. Basically, uh, what he was telling us is we don't know what the hell we're talking about. We're all delusional. We don't see this happening to our own family members and neighbors every damn day. And none of these videos matter at all. It's just, you know, just propaganda. That's all it is. It's just see, a bunch of propaganda. These are a bunch of good cops. Well, from their origins as slave catchers and night watchmen to today's modern police forces, that is one unbroken line of oppression. You are responsible for what happened 150 years ago, just like you're responsible for what happened yesterday. This is an institution, and these people are just the cogs in the wheels recently. So they're trying to stall at this point, is from what I'm looking at, is what they're stalling any kind of investigation or any kind of proof about what we've been saying now for years. And while they're stalling, people are dying more and more every day. And this man right here should be facing criminal charges himself, not only on U.S. soil, but what he's doing is a crime against humanity right now. I mean, you're, you're telling us that we can't even see. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. That the people who were talking in Los Angeles uh, yesterday at a town hall meeting to the district attorney there and had these mourning mothers who had lost children and fathers who had lost children don't know what they're talking about. It didn't happen at all. Well, you already killed the liar's lies. Listen, this is what he's doing. A couple of things here, and I'll let Johanna go ahead and make a point, uh, his points, but um, I was talking about this on BTR News just the other day, but I was talking about President Obama paying attention to the words that people use, and he always say when he be blacksplaining to the rest of America, meaning white folks, when he blacksplaining black folks to white folks, he always say they perceive or they believe or d use these kind of words that that cat that makes it seem like well this isn't the reality these people just it's all perceive. in our mind yeah it's they just perceive this but you already blowed it out the water when you said you know he talked and i'm glad he nailed he was specific see he made a mistake there he was too specific but he said in the last two three four five years uh i don't know how long of uh, the people behind killed by police i think they launched in 2013 i remember interviewing them uh the persons who want to remain anonymous i re uh interviewed them on this network when they launched in 2013 i think it was like a july or something the summer of 2013 um, the um, Malcolm X grassroots movement been tracking these statistics but th look this is the thing that blows them out the water uh, um, also I think was mentioned earlier Johanna talk about their own statistics when they go in and investigate a, a police department and it spreads wider to the city like we saw in Ferguson like Baltimore like many many other uh, reports before that so that's you know where your own FBI is said in Ferguson that there were criminal acts that was being done okay so this guy is nothing but a liar he's an enemy of truth he's an enemy of freedom he is a slaver 
Um, he may be invested in some of these private prison companies. I don't know. But he was just also giving this red meat out there to the All Lives Matter uh, people. Now, yep. certainly, All my Lives Matter, yes. Okay. But the only reason we know you saying that is to 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 antagonize those who are saying Black Lives Matter. So, but he did provide some key information, and this is why I, I'm speaking for myself. But I have always tried to frame the abolitionist movement as non-racial. On this program, we have highlighted victims of all different racial classification, religious classifications. That don't matter. We are against the enslavement of any and everyone. So he is, in fact, correct that black, that, excuse me, white men are being shot the most, killed the most by police. Now, you can look at that two ways. You could look at it like, uh, well, what are these white men doing? They shouldn't be out here committing all this crime that's getting them shot down by police. Are white men more violent than anybody else? What's going on there? But I have been keeping up with those stories, and, and, and their stories are, we find similar in all of the different victims of the slave catchers' brutality. And, and so um, that's why I try to frame it in a non-racial way. So he's just telling a lie, uh, killed by police. The Guardian has been keeping up with the database. For, I mean, come on, man. Come on. So he's just a liar. Um, I don't have anything else nice to say about him. And he did use some <laughs> twisted mathematics. Uh, I'm sorry, honey. I'll just be done in a second. He used no, some no. twisted mathematics where he was quoting this Harvard a research study. And you got to look at it like this. We only represent 12.7% of the population. So let's just look at this in basic math, right? You got 77% white. So let's say we got in a room, there's 100 white people and 20 black people. You kill 20 white people and you kill five black people. Who is getting killed more now? Well, again, why, why, why Max, Max, I don't mean to interrupt you, but why let him pull you down that rabbit hole? Let's use their language against them. That don't matter, sir, Mr. Comey. Um, Americans are being killed. The killedbypolice.net database, a public database, anybody can go there, shows that each and every year since they started, it's been an increase of over a thousand. I think the first year was was maybe eleven hundred. Uh, it's been at thirteen hundred. It might be this year up in the fourteen hundred. Somebody check it out and give us a call and tell us what it say. So, so uh, these are Americans, sir. It don't matter if they're black, they're white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, gay, straight. What difference do it make? They're still human beings being murdered by the slave catchers. How about that? One of the main things about it, too. One of the main things about it, too, that <clears throat> always comes from this. Well, a couple of issues. Number one, those numbers are always going to be, and number one leads into the next, the next point. Those numbers are always going to be soft. We know there's not uniform reporting in the first place. We already established that. The next issue, and something that I learned Very true. from Arlene Eason. Uh, Arlene Eason and Kelly Acuno from Grass, uh, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement when they did Operation Ghetto Storm in 2012 I was starting up uh, Unexplainable Black Death 
2011, right around the time when Trayvon went down, there was other murders that had happened right before that, where Marley Graham, uh, several others that had gone on. So, you know, realizing there was no database, all kinds of people were getting involved in this. And something they taught me from uh, Malcolm X Grassroots was that their report that established the one every 28 hours number went even further into getting the real numbers because they were following up on cases where people had been shot and sent to the hospital. See, that's being omitted from these numbers, that they, whether the FBI had uniform reporting or not, they're not going to report to you the hundreds and hundreds of people that get shot by law enforcement and live to get to the hospital then die within the next day, die the next week. That's a significant number of people. So right. what you see going on, what you see going on is this. Racist people, racist sympathizers, slavery deniers, racism deniers, proxies, all of these different titles we've given to these people, they all go in the same group, and that is a group of people that deny the information and say that their denial is based on certain data. And then they go about ignoring all of the data. See, that's the problem. They're going to continue to be able to deny based on data. They're going to tell you numbers. They're going to start talking math with you and then say, this is why what you're saying isn't true. But they're not going to acknowledge, and I never hear anybody other than us. I mean, I listen to a, a wide range of podcasts and webcasts and episodes and reading information and interviews on and on from people in all kinds of fields that talk about these things. And whether it's Mark Lamont Hill, Glenn Lowry, whether it's any of these sisters that's out here representing the sociology, freaking neurosurgeons, scientists, all kinds of people that comment on race issues with the police and with prisons and with the drug wars and on and on and on. These people get shut down by white supremacists. They get shut down by racists. They get shut down by TV show hosts and, and so-called experts and, and hosts or whatever that, that have these numbers. And never do I hear anybody say the basics about algorithms. They're only going to give you out the information you put in. There is implicit bias based on the information you're feeding to the machine. Mm -hmm. Why can't we get people to just fucking accept that? Jesus. Implicit bias. Well, there are enough reports out there and studies that shows you beyond a shadow of a doubt what's going on. Like the report that came out in 2014 that shows that 18% of the blacks killed during a seven-year period prior to 2014 were under age 21, compared to 8.7% of whites. Uh, and that was just from Ferguson's things coming out where these types of this, these yeah. parts of information yeah. were exposed. So as Cotty said from the beginning, he is a liar, and he should be facing crimes uh, charges for his crimes right now. Instead, right, right. You've got him in a position as director of the freaking FBI. Yeah, he just um, he should be facing crimes. He should be facing crimes, and all those cops in all of those cities that have gotten DOJ reports that have said clearly information that we have documented on this program over the last several years. These people should be facing RICO charges, and if not, entire departments, entire city management staff, from the mayor, the city managers, the clerks the council people on down, people that are complicit in giving orders to the police, the police chiefs who are, who are complicit with those orders from city managers to go about telling their subordinates to go out and racially profile and extort money from these people. These people all are committing crimes. All of the people that's in prison right now are the people that they got for petty larceny during the riot. They caught them throwing a brick at a police car. They got six years. They caught them... Uh, 
uh, starting a fire. They they called them stealing Gatorade out the quick trip. They called them, you know, this kind of foolishness. These people are all in prison. Yeah, um, you get that. The people that one, hear that, they're all in prison, and none of these officials have have faced any charges at all. And they've been documented by our highest authorities that they are breaking constitutional laws, civil rights laws. They are criminals. Yeah, and while he was in the Bush Department, if I'm not mistaken, the Bush administration, I think he was at the FBI. I think he's another one of the Bush holdovers. Obama seems to have liked a lot of officials from the prior administration. But that in 2006, somebody can check the dates, but in 2006, that's when the FBI issued that report, White Supremacist Infiltration of Law Enforcement. So that's from your own department right there and then the federal courts there in New York they just um, a rule stop and frisk unconstitutional where all evidence this is in the courtroom where evidence and facts do matter and they had to present the facts and the evidence to a federal judge who ruled that the NYPD slave catchers were targeting uh, um, of the black community for slavery and and we had the NYPD officers who were on the I-9 investigative report who said we are the predators and they are the prey and before that we had I can't remember the man's name the cop's name who recorded his commander giving a morning briefing and, and orders and saying target uh, black male 16 to 21 so again, man, uh, he's a liar. He's a liar. He should be facing um, a tribunal. He is um, just all the things that we can think of, all the words to describe to describe a despicable person. That's him. That's him. So what you did not hear from him, and then I'm done with him. Um, what you did not hear from him, you did hear in omission by omission that he had to quote what an economist, some economist said, and then, you know, fudge the numbers and give it out of context or what have you. But he's acknowledging that they aren't keeping a track of the numbers. And I didn't hear any commitment to dispel these myths and these false beliefs and these perceptions that people have to sign. I'm calling on Congress to start withholding, um, um, uh, federal grants to departments that do not participate in this statistical reporting. You didn't hear that from him, did you? Because he ain't trying to solve the problem of slavery. He is a slaver. Um, I'd like to just take a moment to now uh, that we've gotten to this point to uh, send our condolences out to the Browder family. Uh, Khalif Browder's mother has recently passed away uh, it's being said that she died of a broken heart, uh, heart failure from uh, the experiences that she's had to go through as a mourning mother who lost her son to this criminal justice system, Khalid Browder. And from what I understand, uh, Jay-Z is right now involved in a uh, production, a six-part series of his life and what he had to go through, 16 years old, being arrested on trumped-up charges, tossed into an adult prison, Rikers Island, infamously violent adult prison spent three years there recorded uh, on video of him being abused by guards and also other inmates as a teen boy and then just being dumped out onto the streets after three years without so much as an apology or an explanation keeping him in there for three straight years and uh, two years after his release he 
committed suicide. And uh, his mother just recently passed away. So we'd like to offer on uh, behalf of New Abolitionist Radio and Black Talk Radio Network our condolences to the family. Rest in power, Queen. Most certainly Indeed. rest in power, as um, she may say, transition. And we, I mean, this young man did not commit a crime. He had not been convicted of anything, but he, how many years, two, three years, where he suffered all kind three of manner, years. all kind of manner of abuse. Um, he was yep. probably, he was generating how much out in coins was he generating max? As a, a juvenile, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, wow. Three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. He was over four hundred days in solitary confinement, so I'm positive that there's additional bonus money for the time that a person's in solitary. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he wasn't just in general population; right. he was in solitary confinement for well over a year. So, yeah, it was it was probably close to four hundred grand. I'm sure I'm sure they can justify. Throwing extra charges on that—that that is absolutely ridiculous. For walking home with his friend ten days before his seventeenth birthday, him and his friend walking home from a party, minding their own business, police just roll up on you, say somebody said you robbed them, and you're gone. And this, for me, is why I do this. There's really no other reason. If it was just me, I, you know, I just would—I would just not do the crime, as they say. I would just walk the straight and narrow. I've been pretty lucky. But it's not for me. It's this kind of situation. I got five or six boys around me, sons and nephews and little cousins and neighborhood kids and whatnot that I'm close to and know and see and have been watching them grow from birth till now. The number says by the FBI that they don't know how many cops is how many people cops is killing. The FBI knows enough to say that one in four, close to one in three, black males is going to do two years in, in his lifetime. So with six, seven, eight, nine, ten boys around me, Max, sons, already gone into the beast, Scotty, yeah. his brother. I mean, we're all touched by this. This is real, man. This woman died from that. Her son yeah. killed himself. This boy was innocent. It's black. It's white. It's Latinos. Like you said about that L.A. City Council meeting we was watching with Jackie Lacey, the D.A. Jackie Lacey out there. Right. These people are just giving detailed, specific information about year after year after year that they've been petitioning her, showing up at her office. She getting people arrested, having them drug away, get away from my office, protesting, asking me questions, having them drug out of press conferences. People know they know her security guard by name. I mean, these people are intimately involved in trying to get their lives right based on the hand of the state the slave system coming down and crushing their reality that's why we are here doing this and if you hear this pick up your weapon and follow us the human toll is beyond belief just beyond, if, if you went just back to Nixon and the war on drugs and you collected all the blood that has been shed since it would fill the great lakes that's how much blood shed has come of this, how much suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And let me let me just say this, I'll be quick. When you said that, it gave me another visual, Max, that I was thinking of, because I was just reading a slave uh documentary information about a, a slaver, uh a, a reform slaver that used to work the slave ships or whatever. And his account talking about, you know, how they would throw forty, fifty, sixty people overboard. He had a daily log where he was talking about today we we see in the in the sea you know schools of dolphins surrounding us and and several sharks 
several sharks near the near the boat. Uh, that's probably because of the poor chaps that we had to throw overboard, dead from smallpox, packed in like coffins in the rafters of the boat. Uh, we pull out the dead bodies, and they're laying right next to newborn babies. The mothers have birthed the children right there in their own feces and in the in the dead bodies waste this land right there and we pull out the dead bodies and throw them overboard we run out of rations we threw 25 more overboard the 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 british saw our ship and came to raid us cuz it's a it's a fine of $100 a head for every slave you found in after slavery's abolished or or the laws say you can't slave trade we don't want to pay those fines, so we had to throw 200 people overboard. You talk about now and today, the blood could fill up the Great Lakes. In that time, for 300 years, the blood filled up the whole damn Atlantic Ocean. The whole ocean. Yep. And we just were blind to all of this suffering happening. Mothers dying of broken hearts. Communities being demolished year after year after year. And systems that are set up to keep them in perpetual poverty. So it creates a criminal atmosphere that they can go into and be like they're in a shopping mall, just picking up bodies and taking them to these prisons and jails in order to generate an income that they can live off of. It's a damn shame. But there is an economic toll as well. And, you know, I've said here before that by my own estimates, the slavery system right now is worth a half a trillion dollars a year. Others have said even more. And I found this short article from 2012 where they tried to uh, put it together, just how much money is involved here. Hey, Max, comes from- Max before, yes, you, before you jump into a new article, let's just take uh, um early break so that we don't have to break in you know um during the uh, article so let's go ahead and do all right that. well we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about that one trillion that is generated as of 2012 you're listening to new abolitionist radio with max parker scotty reed and johanna nalaya we'll be right back after these messages Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. 
you know, I always suffer from a condition called too uh, much to say and too little time. <laughs> but I do want to take a moment to give a shout-out to some people that lifted me up yesterday because I was down low, still down low, but they gave me some extra hope. And that was, of course, the L.A. Uh, town hall meeting that was going on there with uh, District Attorney Lacey and also out in Charleston where Brother Shango spoke before the city council and in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota where uh, – Carrie Ann Johnson and Nakima Levy Pound were covering the issues and speaking there on behalf of all of us. So uh, shout out to you guys. You give me hope every time I hear you out there testifying and telling the truth about what's going on. We are not silent. We are speaking out to the people that are supposed to be listening. Thank you. Um, I want to go into this next article, and it tells about the economic costs the economic toll of incarceration, and they say it exceeds in the U.S. $1 trillion. And this article came from 2012, and it says, and more than half of that falls on the families and communities of people incarcerated, says a recent study by Washington University researchers. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reports, for every dollar in correction spending, there's another $10 of that of other types of of cost to families, children, and communities that nobody sees because it doesn't end up on a state budget. Now, I'm going to start stop talking, reading the article from there just to add something. When they're talking about that other $10 that's the burden on the families, they're talking about all of these vampiric, blood-sucking industries that suck the life out of the people who can afford it the least. We're talking about the cash bails. We're talking about the for-profit probations that make you pay for your own probation. We're talking about the jail stays where you have to pay $10 for five minutes to see your family members, the expensive goods and services that they have to purchase from within the, bail, uh, within the jails themselves. All of these things are a burden that are put on the people who don't have anything to begin with. You already stole their family members and that you're stealing everything that you can from them and sucking them dry and expecting them to be able to do better after you've done that. Now back into the story. Said Michael McLaughlin, the doctoral student and certified public accountant who led the study, incarceration doesn't happen in a vacuum. The study's authors claim to be the first to assign a dollar amount to the societal cost of incarceration, not just the government cost of running correction systems, which is estimated at $80 billion annually. The number considerably underestimates the true cost of incarceration by ignoring the important social costs, the researchers wrote. The study was spearheaded by McLaughlin and Carrie Pettis Davis, co-director of the Smart Decarceration Initiative. Some costs of incarceration include the wages people no longer earn while in prison, $70.5 billion, and the amount of lifetime earnings they will likely lose, uh, $230 billion, after they get out because of an employment restrictions and discrimination against formerly incarcerated, the study says. The formerly incarcerated have a mortality rate that is three and a half times higher than people who were not incarcerated. And researchers estimated the cost of their shortened lives to be $62.6 billion. As for the communities where incarcerated people live, the researchers believe the biggest cost. $285.8 billion is criminogenic effect of prison or the theory that prison reinforces. You can find that article on New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook and also at 
community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. So there's some numbers, again, for us to go with. Uh, I'm in the process of reading that study in, its, in detail and see what I can glean from it. But that's someone who tried to put a cost on the toll, the economic toll, beyond just the profit margins and costs. Crazy. The thing that at the end of it, like you said, the, uh, the, the chromogenic effect of all of this, I mean, the, the thing about it that people should understand the fact that it is a thing, the fact that we have war on drugs, the fact that we have such high rates of, of interaction between citizens and police, the fact that we have so many mentally ill in prison, 360,000 plus in prison mentally ill people versus around 36, 37,000 mentally ill people in state facilities all over the country, 10 times the number interacting constantly with the police the, the youth, the school to prison, cops in schools this all creates like you said, the crimogenic atmosphere of our nation it keeps people from being at peace it gives people an option to be hey, I'm a denier, I don't pay attention to none of that stuff I do what I'm supposed to do, I don't care all that crime don't affect me I don't worry about that stuff, but they know it's something there that they want to deny, that they want to turn their back to you got people that are in it and know that they're in the sights of it that are scared for their lives. It alters how they live. You got people like like uh, Mrs. Browder that just died of a heart attack because her son was taken. But you got other people. You probably got people about hundreds of thousands that are dying or sick of heart conditions and high blood pressure, stress, and post traumatic post uh, traumatic and post slave syndrome or what like all kind of mental illness and the emotional illness behind knowing that the state has this machine running and is creating an atmosphere that is so much crime. And if we tell you what the numbers really are, nearly 700,000 arrests for marijuana prohibition last year. That's all that was. 700,000 arrests in a country of 300 and something million plus. 700,000 people got arrested and processed through the system because of prohibition. Prohibition of alcohol was a disaster over 100 years ago. That department and the Department of Treasury that funded that that did that fight against Al Capone and Bugsy and all these gangsters and all of this stuff that's the folklore, that department was about to get shut down. Those people were going to be out of jobs. That was not going to be a real thing anymore. And based on one man, Harry Angslinger, going back and forth trying to find cops that would give him stories of reefer madness, crazy people that killed people because they were smoking weed. We see all these Negroes smoking weed, sitting around aimless. We see these Mexicans around here smoking weed. We need to prosecute people for smoking weed. And here we are, 90, 100 years later, still feeling the pain of this. People are not retarded. People are dumb. People know that this is all some continuing chain of events that has got them like victims and they're not free and they're not living real lives. People know better. It's amazing as you said that about the weed because uh, in Colorado they're building a freaking mall right now, a weed mall. Right. But you know, here in South Carolina, if I got caught with ten dollars worth of weed, trying to help my daughter who has cancer to overcome the sickness of the chemotherapy, I could face prison time, literally. Yeah. While just a couple yeah. states away, they are making a freaking fortune building a damn mall. Yep, it's on the, the on the ballot uh, this voting season. 
in several states. I believe it was nine states. Uh, we posted it on the New Abolitionist Twitter page, I know. And um, since y'all know I'm banned from, from other forms of social media right now, I haven't been able to post as much in the move to abolish 21st century slavery group or like on my personal Facebook page or on the New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page. But those are all places where people listening to this, you can go to those places and find you know, all the links to the stories that we talk about, but hey, also but, find but, us um, on Twitter. You have, uh, you have been posting the BTR community. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, man. On, on the BTR community, of course, yes, posting all of this information. Uh, my bad. But, yeah, that's okay. on the ballot, and I think it's nine states right now is, is um, uh, decriminalization or whatever they want to call it from state to state, but people realize what's going on. And, and, and in, like, Colorado, you know, drunk driving, record lows. Violent, uh, violent crime, or whatever, on record lows. Shootings, murders in the cities, Denver and uh, Aurora, all around in there, down record lows. Also, big pharma's pissed off because antidepressants and all kind of mental, you know, Xanax and all this kind of stuff messing with people's minds or whatever. All, all that stuff is is consumption is at all time lows. Plus the illegal prescriptions and all of that. All that stuff is, is low because the people can go medicate themselves. You know, the racket. scope of this is that is epic. It's, it's literally epic. Uh, and, and using that word to describe, I guess a great example would be what's happening in Mississippi right now. And we've been reporting on this now for a few years where the entire state has been shown to be corrupt with the longest-running prisoner commissioner in the history of the state, was working directly with private prisons and business industry, taking bribes in order to give out no-bid contracts and also to keep a steady flow of bodies going in and out of prisons that were described by judges as cesspools of constitutional violations. And that, when they saw the youth detention facilities, not just the adults, but the children are being put into such danger and terrible conditions that it is absolutely inhumane. Christopher Epps has been turning state evidence. He originally started out facing 268 years in prison along with Cecil McCrory, who was the business financer. And he got his sentence reduced down to somewhere around 20 years by turning over state evidence that could and may lead all the way up to the governor of Mississippi. And the most recent thing to come out is a story that Johanna shared on the Black Talk Radio Network community regarding a former Mississippi state senator who recently pled guilty to bribery. If you want to uh, go into that story and give me some updates, Johanna, that would be great. It's uh, sure. it's on both pages. Yeah, I got it up. Um, this is from the Mississippi Clarion Ledger, which has been, uh, you know, one of our great sources of information. But uh, this particular story is an Associated Press lead. But I know uh, Jerry Mitchell down there won won awards for his reporting on the uh, the uh, scandal of all of this going on a, a couple of years ago when it first broke. So I think he actually broke the story. And the FBI got involved. So, I mean, people know. And like you said, there's no telling how far this is going to go. It says, a uh, former state senator has pleaded guilty of Mississippi's prison contract bribery scandal. Herb, IRB, Herb Benjamin of Madison pleaded guilty to one count of bribery Tuesday morning before U.S. District Judge Henry T. Wingate in Jackson. Benjamin admitted in court that he paid bribes to former Corrections Commissioner Christopher Epps to obtain contracts at state prison work centers 
in county jails. Brandon businessman Cecil McCrory and Epps pleaded guilty to charges connected to the bribery scheme in February 2015, but still await sentencing. Three others have also pleaded guilty on related charges. Wingate says he will sentence Benjamin January 24th. Benjamin faces up to 10 years in prison and up to $250,000 in fines. Prosecutors also want him to forfeit the money that he gained. So, uh, man, they dragging their feet on this stuff. Like I said, in Ferguson, in Baltimore, um, you know, shoot, uh, North Carolina here recently, in Charlotte, um, in these cities, when you see these uprisings and you see people flipping out and going off, you know, they go to jail and they in jail and they go to prison and they serve in time. And you get this kind of corruption and it drags on for two or three years and everybody get a chance to get their affairs in order and, and, and bribe the right people and grease the right palms. and Man, people you know, know um, that this is a scheme. People know. Johanna, you mentioned the awards that this guy got for his journalism for breaking this story. But I just want to say that you, Max, and I, this program, won an award for our reporting as well. From, from <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, indeed. So, so, but I, the importance, I, I said that to say this. This is the importance of, of independent media. This is the importance of journalism. Because I did not know this until recently, and I learned this information from... Um, Reverend Dr. Uh, Barber here in North Carolina who leads the North Carolina State NAACP uh, and um, he mentioned in a press conference that you can file uh, FBI complaints not FBI complaints, Department of Justice complaints that would trigger investigations based off of just press reporting because they filed one based on the local uh, papers reporting this one particular journal journalist, this white female who was reporting on the sheriff's department. Um, I think it's Harney County in North Carolina. It's more towards eastern North Carolina, about in the middle somewhere. Um, but it, to the east of Charlotte, yeah, to the east of Charlotte. So um, this is. I feel like Max, you when you say we're documenting, you are actually telling the truth. Because, I mean, we're bringing news reports from all over the world, um, whoever's writing about slavery, and most of it, I say, did not exist until we launched this program. But we're providing, we're accumulating all these stories, we're reporting them, we're analyzing, we're reporting, doing our own original reporting on the earnings calls. Who else has done that? Who else is spying on the enemy by uh, you know, calling in to his his conference calls and, and what have you? And these legal organizations, I feel like they can take podcasts from four years worth of new abolitionist radio and 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 indict the whole I mean any state in the so called union and the federal government for twenty first century slavery and human trafficking. That's why again the thirteenth amendment is so key. The thirteenth amendment made me feel really bad when we lost all of that information we had accumulated on our programming page on Facebook. Those four years of stuff that some of it had never been aired and uh I don't know what happened. 
all gone now. It's, it's still there. If you if you reopen the group page, Scotty, it's all you could just reopen the group page. But we could talk about that off. I've been meaning to ask you about that too. Because all of that that group, if you just reopen it, reactivate that group, all of that information is still there. And like you said, that's like four years plus, man. Every link we ever found of information is, yeah. Yeah, we've never had enough time to cover everything. But as Scotty said, we have documented this thing now for years. And you could just go to our archives alone. Just the audio archives of New Abolitionist Radio is enough to start prosecutions. Because we don't sit here and surmise. We don't, you know, make things up. We're reporting on what's happening every single day. We're telling you what is going on out there in this world, in this nation that we call America, with prison and slavery. You may not get it on MSNBC, but you'll get it here. Yeah, it's a lot. And, and I mean, it just stands to reason, too, that that's, I mean... I I don't feel like I'm lying to myself. I don't feel like I'm being delusional when I've been saying this over the years. There's a reason these people don't respond to us. There's a reason these people don't answer emails, don't tweet back, don't take calls, don't get messages that you leave with folks that answer they line. I mean, I've gone through pretty much all methods of communication other than damn carrier pigeon to showing up at the office. And these people choose not to get back with you. And then when they do, you do catch them, oh, yeah, they'll talk to you for a few minutes and figure out where you're coming from. And I'm sure they do some kind of little investigation to see where, what side of the game you own or what you in it for. And then you never hear from them again. There's a reason why that happens. We've been doing this for enough years that all these people that said yes when they first talked to us and then never answered the phone again, it's a reason why that keeps happening. I'm not trying to be on the outside. I'm not trying to be like we're not a part of the people bringing you. We we weren't on the 13th. We're not on MSNBC. We're not even now people are talking about the 13th Amendment. Everywhere I look is people that we've been trying to reach out to for years that was denying it. And when we did catch them, they tell us we, we was wrong. All of these people. Mark Lamont Hill is one of these people that I've had conversation with through social media there was a denier. I've heard him talk about it. He will say, well, yeah, the 13th Amendment, and you have a speech someplace and say something, then you get to talk about slavery. Well, no, 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 I don't want to say that it's slavery. We've talked to people in law enforcement, uh, professors, all kind of people that have said, yeah, the 13th Amendment, it does have that, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean slavery. Now, all of a sudden, this movie comes out, and everybody's been knowing about this. Everybody got a new book. Everybody's going to tell you. Everybody's an expert. But when you listen to them talk about it, you still don't hear them talking about slavery. You still you know, don't hear them say slavery. That opens the door for me to say this, because it's been staring me in my face since we started the program today. And that's this. when I was looking at the article about the cost, the financial cost, right to the right side of the article is a big picture of Van Jones. And it says, CNN's Van Jones named as the Crime Reports 2017 Justice Media Trailblazer. What kind of nonsense is that? See, that's <laughs> how they put these people in place and tell you these are the ones you should listen to. They're telling you who to listen to. They, no, don't listen to Max and don't listen to Johanan and don't listen to Scotty on New Abolitionist Radio. Listen to Van Jones. He is our man. How do you think, uh, what's his name, Al Sharpton got into the positions that he got into? Right. It's the same way. They're putting puppets up and telling us to pay attention to them and giving them all these accolades and awards that they do not deserve. Because they're talking around it. 
imagine if this was a debate about rape. When I listen, when I, I mean, I thought about this through the lens of the thirteenth movie. And again, I accept the thirteenth is a is a as a good submission to the abolitionist movement. I'll accept it. It gets people on the conversation. I'll take any kind of conversation about slavery and just get people talking and then if they need to be corrected, we'll try to correct them. But imagine this conversation being about rape. And when you talk about the rape of these people, imagine an expert that instead of talking about the physical action of raping the person, they talk about the clothes the person was wearing. They talk about uh, uh, what they call it a, a paternal type society where men dominate and they talk about uh, resources being used for you mean all, every kind of abstract concept hey, around hey, Johanan, the Johanan, hey Johanan locker room talk <laughs> locker room <laughs> exactly exactly that's what these people are doing they're telling you every kind of abstract aspect of the conversation when you just want to talk about the fact that this person was pinned down and brutalized and raped and their life has changed forever imagine if we talked about rape the way that we talk about slavery imagine if we talked about terrorism the way that we talk about slavery if they talked about the twin towers and told you about the planes and the, the cost of airplane fuel and the, the winds and the, the design of the buildings and but we never get around to talk about who flew the planes, who actually created that opportunity for these people to do this. People would notice that something was wrong. Could you have a Van Jones telling you about the 9-11 attacks and all he did was told you about the type of tires that was on the landing gear of the plane? Would you call that an expert to tell you about the, about the damn 9-11? No. You'd be, well, who is this nutcase? I want to know about what actually happened. And people are listening to folks that are telling them about modern-day slavery quoting the 13th Amendment now. How the hell do you quote the 13th Amendment and read the words and say abolished except for when a person convicted and then start talking about poverty in the whatever over here and then we go talk about 1962 and then you know uh, Martin Luther King was a Republican and what the hell are you doing? Indeed. Indeed, man. Well, I'm hoping that I, I know our listeners are discerning. They know when somebody is selling them some crap because they've listened to us long enough to know the difference. <laughs> I mean, like we're breaking this down to the last uh, molecule, so you understand it with no exception. You know exactly what's happening here. So you have this discerning voice in your head. When you hear this crap come out of their mouths, you know the difference. And I, I would like to say that the 13th has been making some very big waves. You've got lawyers associations and criminal justice groups that are gathering together to view this film and if the only thing they can get out of it is the title the 13th amendment so they can examine something that as lawyers and uh people involved in law never even freaking realize existed if, if it just wakes them up to that it has done a tremendous help for us hey but going to going even further I'm sorry, what was that, Max? Oh, going back to what, just... what you said about our listeners being discerning, I, I have to give a plug to the great work that all the um, radio hosts on this network do. But this is from um, a financial supporter of the Black Talk Media Project, and this is what she wrote, Max, that speaks directly to our listeners. I became a monthly supporter of the Black Talk 
Network because of what is being done here can't be found anywhere else. The BTN is intelligent, interesting, and actionable information and commentary about topics that affect my family and the African diaspora. After listening to what these broadcasters have to say, I rarely source mainstream news outlets. Corporate-sponsored media content seems so sophomoric and dumbed down now. Thank you, BTN, for making me a more informed member of our community. That speaks directly what you just said, Max. Our listeners are are discerning and what have you. And so it is good to know that the tens of thousands who tune into this station every month are able to correct people in those real-world conversations that are going on out there. So... Like I've said, all you have to do to be an abolitionist in my book is acknowledge that slavery was never abolished, um, uh, want the removal of the exception clause from the 13th Amendment, and work to um, abolish it. And, and that can come in many forms, and whether that's just informing people and changing people's minds. So like Max said, if anything come from the 13th, even though those I would not consider most of the people on there to be experts, and I, that's not her fault. Um, those are the people she thought that were experts, and she just let them speak freely. She just the director. All they, that was a documentary. She didn't write a script for them to speak. So those people were in fact speaking speaking their minds. So um, so when you in your conversations with your coworkers, with your family members, with who your civic groups on the basketball court in the bar whatever when when people have these conversations it's up to you to use that information you have been armed with to to plant more seeds abolitionist seeds out there that may germinate then grow and those people become abolitionists so uh thank you to the listener that uh wrote that in thank you indeed uh to quote frederick Douglass, education or knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave makes a woman and a child unfit to be a slave as well. And we are trying to provide you with the knowledge you need to prepare yourself and to be able to speak with some kind of authority on this subject. Well, we don't have a lot of time. I want to save some time, Scotty, for the uh, two stories, the abolitionist in profile as well as the fake-ass apology that came out. But before that, I would like to at least play a couple of minutes of this video that comes out from Democracy Now!, has uh, representatives of the ACLU and the HRW uh, calling to decriminalize the drug use and possession uh, after this study has come out showing that there's an arrest every 25 seconds and that the uh, drug arrests trump violent crimes by at least four times. Uh, it's four times more people being arrested for drug possession than there is for violent crimes, all violent crimes combined. And so they are making a call. If you can pull that up on uh, New Abolitionist Radio or BTR uh, Network, to a new I just want to play the devastating five minutes of it. That criminalized the personal use and possession of drugs. Human Rights Watch and the American Civil Liberties Union released the findings Wednesday with a call for states and the federal government to decriminalize low-level drug offenses, which it says, the report says, account for more than more arrests than any other crime. Last year, police booked more people for small-time marijuana charges than for murder, non-negligent manslaughter, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. 
combined. This comes as four states have legalized recreational marijuana use, and five more will vote to do the same next month. This is part of a video that accompanies the new report. Corey Ladd is a 27-year-old man that got sentenced to 20 years for half an ounce of weed. When Corey gets out of prison, Charlie will be about 18 years old. Hi, Corey. I was just talking about how you miss out on the little things of Charlie's life. Uh, I definitely don't think it's fair whatsoever. And I don't believe that I should be taken away from my family for 20 years for it. Every 25 seconds, someone is arrested in the United States simply for possessing drugs for their personal use. Around the country, police make more arrests for drug possession than for any other crime. Over 1.25 million arrests per year. Stephen is not here with us right now because he's in prison. The last time he was arrested, I think it was for, like, drug paraphernalia, and eventually they gave him five years. Stephen was, at one time, he was the provider. His not being there has definitely impacted, you know. Blacks, whites, people of color, we all use and sell drugs at relatively the same rates. But we enforce our policies in these poor black and brown communities. In my opinion, it is not justice. The definition of insanity is to keep doing something over and over again and expect a different result. So maybe we should try something different. The human toll of criminalization is out of control. It is time to decriminalize the personal use and possession of all drugs. That video accompanies the new report by Human Rights Watch and the American Civil Liberties Union titled Every 25 Seconds, The Human Toll of Criminalizing Drug Use in the United States. Its principal author joins us now to discuss its findings. Tess Borden spent a year visiting with people jailed on drug possession charges around the country, as well as prosecutors and other key players in the system. She focused on the states of Louisiana, Texas, Florida, and New York. Welcome to Democracy Now! Tess, lay out your findings. Thank you. It's terrific to be here. Human Rights Watch and the ACLU undertook this year-long investigation into just how failed the law enforcement approach to drug use is. And what we found is, first, that the scale of enforcement is absolutely massive. Every 25 seconds, someone is arrested. That accounts for 1.25 million arrests per year, more arrests, as you said in the opening, than any other crime, three times more than all violent crimes combined, five times more than drug dealing. So the scale is just absolutely incredible and devastating. Secondly, we found that the consequences of those arrests and prosecution can be sometimes lifelong, not only for individuals, but also for families. On any given day in the United States, some 140,000 people are behind bars just because they have possessed a small amount of drugs for their own personal use, while each day tens of thousands more are cycling through jails and prisons, struggling to make ends meet on probation and parole. We also found that a conviction for drug possession, uh, often at the felony level, because in 42 states, small amount of possession um, can be a felony offense. We found those convictions um, can keep individuals and sometimes, again, entire families out of public benefits, uh, such as food stamps or Section 8 housing. It can make it hard to um, get a job, rent a house, next month to vote. Um, and for non-citizens, of course, it can result in deportation. And then we also found that the enforcement of these laws 
laws is disproportionately impacting communities of color and the poor without justification. Just to drill down there, um, we know around the country black and white people use drugs at equivalent rates, and yet a black person is two and a half times more likely to be arrested for simple drug possession than a white person. In many states, that ratio is significantly higher, and absolutely no state is at one-to-one. -one. So a black person is more than five times um, more likely to be arrested for, again, simple drug possession for personal use than a white person in North Dakota, New York, Minnesota, Montana, Iowa, Vermont. Here in Manhattan, a black person is 11 times more likely to be arrested than a white person. Again, that's despite equivalent rates of use. So these are racial disparities, but more importantly, under human rights law, this is racial discrimination. Oh, one of the interesting things is you, uh the, the core of the report is all these interviews that you did with about 149 people. Yes. And most people think, well, a person gets arrested on a drug charge, uh, they deserve it. But you look at the entire impact, not just on that person, but on their family, on their whole situation, and also on their prospects once they get out of jail in terms of being able to reconstruct their lives. Can you talk about yes, that as well? Yes, absolutely. So I met 149 people, 64 of whom were in custody when I met them, so in jails and prisons. And what I found across the board that was that these are mothers and fathers, these are friends and family members who have been taken out of their lives and for whom it's really hard to move on after the fact of prosecution. Um, I met people like Corey Ladd in the video, like um, Stephen's family. Uh, to flesh it out a little bit, Corey Ladd has a four-year-old daughter. She's going to be five. We saw the picture of her. She's going to be five in January. He was arrested in December before she was born. He's never held her. He's never played with her outside of prison. The first time he held his baby girl in his arms was in the infamous Angola prison in Louisiana. Uh, Charlie, the little this girl... Is for possessing half an ounce of marijuana? Absolutely. Possessing half an ounce of marijuana, his prior convictions were also for drug possession. And because he was considered under Louisiana law a habitual offender, because he had habitual drug use, he was sentenced to 20 years. 20 years. And so Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Well, there you have it. <clears throat> the ACLU is uh, calling for decriminalization of drug possession and stating very clearly the human toll of what uh, it costs for people to go through these terrible ordeals at the hands of police and uh, prosecutors and judges and our entire justice system as a whole. Uh, there is no state in this union where blacks are the majority, none. The closest you can get is Washington, and we're just barely below the halfway mark there. I believe it's 48%. And they mentioned how in each of these states, like Vermont, where people are being, black people are being arrested at 5 to 1, 11 to 1, 3.5 to 1. But you have to put it in perspective, again, without the twisted mathematics, that they only make up a small percentage of the population of that state. They mentioned Vermont, where African Americans are being arrested at 12 to 1. 
and in Vermont, the blacks in that state only represent 1.2% of the entire population. Now think about that in your head. You have to envision these police surrounding the black community and going in there like they are shopping at a mall in order to get these types of numbers. Scotty, Johanna, any comments on that one? Man, I mean, people heard the recording, first of all, and uh, as you breaking it down, I mean, you know, I've, I've ranted enough. I, I'm just sitting here listening to that and just kind of meditating on some of the my blood pressure going up, fussing and ranting and going off about what's going on. This is just ridiculous. I just see so many people hurting, trying to just get through innocent people. I mean, we, we, we talk about the, the, you know, crime rates and the conviction rates and all of this, whatever. Remember, people, 97% overall convictions, state and federal, are coming from plea deals. These people are not facing juries and judges with evidence and testimony and being weighed in the scales of justice and, and receiving their full constitutional privilege. The the, I mean, the overwhelming majority, damn near everybody, if you had 97% plus, that's almost everybody, is going into this system taking plea deals. Prosecutors stacking charges, overworked and over overburdened public defenders, poor people that don't have money and don't have the money to pay for their own defense, sitting in jails because of our bail and bond system, waiting for a year, two, three years at times to even face trial, never getting access to all of the evidence that the, the so-called prosecutor's office has against them, so they don't even know if they got a chance to be. I mean, you can't even imagine, with us telling you for years and years, you still don't know all the chips that stacked against the average person that gets caught in the net. And then you get within all of that, if it's 2.3 million people actually in prisons, Almost all respectable scientific-based, fact-based recording and reporting firms will will agree. There's probably somewhere around a three to five percent, you know, moderate, uh, modest estimation of people that are completely innocent that are caught up in that as well. So, at 2.3 million people, you got a couple hundred thousand people that's just in, just totally screwed. That's all I got. I, I just God help us. Let's keep um, in focus. And good to see Neil Franklin putting in work. I remember interviewing him a couple of years ago. Um, he is a black former slave catcher who actually broke down in tears at one conference about a year or so ago, uh, repenting for what he said in his words he had done to his people. And that's how you show true repentance right there. There must we it's not enough to just say you're sorry as we get ready to transition into our, our abolitionist in profile, which is Miss Jonina Abron uh Irvin. Um, but that's how you show contrition. So he spent all those years as a slave catcher, came to to the late realization that what he was engaged in was slavery and now he leads the organization called Law Enforcement Against Prohibition because they understand the danger that law that that laws are um, at the heart of these problems of why so many people are being um, 
um, locked up and put into slavery. And I remember they were talking about all drugs when he came on my program and some of the other people, when I first started to interview them years ago, they would always be like, well, all drugs. I don't want to make the distinction between cannabis and other drugs because nobody should be put in prison for using drugs. They should be getting help if they desire help, as long as they didn't harm anybody else. So so that's where they were at. But I, I, I think I may have convinced him that marijuana cannabis prohibition is the first domino that if you get that first domino to fall right there because that's what's impacting people the most and it's just the most ridiculous it's hard you know now we were talking about crack I can see where a person to come from and just the destructive nature of crack cocaine and I could see where where they would want to keep that illegal. They wouldn't go as far as to say, hey, let's license people, let's get the FDA to inspect the crack recipe and, and the conditions under which it was cooked and all, all that process. And then so so I can I understand why people wouldn't want to go that far, being able to go up in a shop and buy bags of heroin and and syringes and, and things of that nature and just I can understand. But cannabis, come on. Cannabis really, with all the science that has shown the medicinal benefits, just confirming what ancient cultures had always known, and that's the medicinal properties of, of this plant that comes in many forms that people can consume it. It's also a food source. I was listening to uh, a news station on Black Talk Radio Network. They is basically a music station. It's uh, uh, TCCB. I can't think of the rest of the call letters. Sorry about that. But it's mainly a music station, but he'll play clips of people speaking. And I was listening today because I like some of the music that comes on there. Not all of it, but some of the music. And he was playing a clip of Dr. Sabi talking about the properties of cannabis and how it's an electric food, but not to get the type that is has no seeds, these hybrids and whatnot, like they are, are doing what white people are doing in Colorado. He said, no, you want the ones with the seeds. You know, you want the seeds. That's the life giver right there. That's the type of cannabis you want to be consuming. And he was talking about how they would put, when people would come to to him for help for all different types of ailment, ailments and whatnot, and they would give them like brownies laced with cannabis or cookies laced with cannabis, which is products they now sell. And he was like, they would come back and say, oh, my tremors stopped. Can I get some more of them brownies? And because they didn't want to tell them, he didn't tell them. Now, you can talk about the ethics of that, but he didn't tell them that was the active ingredient. But then again, how many how many of you know the active ingredients of the prescription drugs you, you taking on faith from your doctor so he wouldn't tell them that it was cannabis but it would treat their ailments man and then he would tell them uh, what the active ingredient and then they would be able to treat themselves for rheumatoid arthritis and and, and, uh, epilepsy and and other things of, of that nature so I ain't mean to, to ramble on on to that. Uh, we do uh, need to get to our abolitionists in profile. But did y'all have any final comments on on what we just heard? So I agree with them. You know that that cannabis legalization going on in five states, California the largest state. So 
um, that's a domino. I'm looking at that as a domino to fall, not to open up the door to legalize other drugs, but to open up the door to let the let the uh, um, enslaved victims of America's uh, war on cannabis prohibition, which is really a war on people. Uh, I want to open up the prison doors to let them free. That's what they'll do. Right. I want to see. It's a twofold thing, Scotty. We either get people free from slavery, the million and a half at least right now who should be set free today, and then we need to keep our people from being hunted under these draconian laws that are race-based, like marijuana prohibition. Yes, certainly. Well, uh, our next segment we're going to go into is going to be our abolition and profile abolitionist in profile, but you mentioned that you want to cover the story as an inclusive thing regarding the apology that came from the head of the police chiefs group, who has apologized for his, his, for their historical mistreatment of minorities. And just before you get into it, I just want to say, we don't give a damn about your apology. We don't want your apology. We want justice. We want justice. That's what we want. Not apologies. I mean, you don't want to take responsibility for nothing. Even in his apology, he says at the same time, those who denounce the police must also acknowledge that today's officers are not to blame for the injustices of the past. Well, we just documented those injustices going on right now. This is an unbroken line of slavery and human trafficking which has been enforced by the United States Police Departments who can trace their roots all the way back to slave catchers and the night watchmen. You are part of that. Stop trying to separate yourself from it and take your apology and shove it so far up your behind that it puts a debt in your damn forehead. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, um, we will hear from Sister Jonina on whether or not she accepts the apology as a victim of COINTELPRO, which included the FBI working with state police, city police, sheriff's departments to target um, um, black power groups. So let me just give you a little background information on her. Um, she, uh, Jonina Abram Irvin is a veteran social justice activist and author, a, a former radio host here on Black Talk Radio Network, and a journalist. She was a member of the Black Panther Party for nearly a decade and was the last editor of the Black Panther newspaper, a news correspondent at the 2001 UN World Conference Against Racism. Jonina was formerly the managing editor of Black Scholar magazine. From 2000 to 2003, she led a campaign to stop African-American men from being stripped naked while in jail in Kalamazoo, Michigan. From 2007 to 2009, she coordinated publicity for a campaign to stop the mistreatment of youth held at a juvenile detention center near Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, what's not included here is work I know because of the year and a half that Black Autonomy Federation was on air, which she was one of the co-hosts and co-producers. Um, they um, 
uh, was keeping the statistics in Memphis, Tennessee, which had the highest rates at that time of black men, unarmed black men being killed. And I and so I, that's not included in this bio that's online. But um, she they uh, played a big role in counting the kills in uh, the slave catchers in Memphis, Tennessee as well. Um, so she is also a retired Western Michigan University associate professor of communication. Her essays about the black power period in the United States have appeared in such books as Voices from the Underground, Insider Histories of the Vietnam Era, Underground Press, Part 2, and The Black Panther Party. Uh, Her book title is Driven by the Moment, Activists of the Black Power Era. And I had the pleasure to reconnect with her yesterday and interview her about 30 minutes on Black Talk Radio News. And one of the questions I asked her was, did she, since the Black Panther Party was a victim of these slave catchers, did she accept this slave catcher's apology? And I'm going to play the Black Talk Radio News commentary that just features that part of the interview. The president of USA's largest police union issued a formal apology Monday to the nation's minority population for, quote, actions of the past and the role that our profession has played in society's historic mistreatment of communities of color. Jonina Abram Irvin, who was a member of the Black Panther Party from 1972 until it ceased operations in 1982 due to the illegal terroristic acts carried out by police and the FBI, spoke to BTR News and was asked if she accepted the apology. Do you accept the apology of the slave catcher? I'm sorry, the uh, police uh, union representative. I just happened to watch that on TV right before you know we began this conversation, and you know, no, I don't accept. No, I don't accept it. Uh, to say it's too little, too late is not even good. Uh, capture it. You know, what needs to happen is that these kinds of acts need to stop. You know, uh, black people, people of color need police need to stop shooting us down in the street, you know, every day like we were animals or a dog. That's what needs to happen uh, uh, immediately. Uh, a, a widespread, you know, uh, they need to cease and desist. That's what they need to do. Apologizing is not going to, you know, do any good. It's certainly not going to bring anybody back who has been killed. So uh, they just need to cease and desist uh, from these from these unlawful acts. Uh, this amount, you know, this is, a, back in the day, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, genocide, which is, you know, the uh, deliberate, uh, targeted uh elimination and destruction of, a, of an ethnic group or a race people. And to me, this uh, the, the all these killings of black people and other people of color in the United States, uh, to me, it represents a form of genocide. They don't have jobs for us, and um, they don't, you know, outside of putting us in prison, they don't have any other solutions for, for black and poor people, so they shoot us down and kill us. So to me, it's a form of genocide which needs to end immediately. Uh, so, no, I do not, and I will not ever accept their apology. This has been Scotty Reed with your Black Talk Radio Weekly Commentary. Join me for regular broadcasts on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. And so that mm-hmm. was uh, Jonina Abram Irvin's uh, abolitionist, a living legend in her own right. Um, and we salute her. Salute indeed, sister. Like I said, a pleasure and an honor to meet her and her esteemed husband, Brother Lorenzo. Salute. Salute. 
Well, we got about 10 minutes left. We still got... Uh, Actually, we don't, Max. We have to end... Max, we don't have 10 minutes. Uh We have to end early because of our new streaming on YouTube, so I had to get prepared for the Lotus Place coming up at 10 o'clock. They'll be talking about a little... Uh, parts about slavery as they discuss some of the the films and again that new Nat Turner film out so uh, yeah so we don't have a lot of time and we got about maybe enough for our final comments well let me just say that our our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is available on New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook and on our Black Talk Radio Network community page it is Tony Wright and salute to you and welcome to Freedom Brother Tony Wright welcome after spending 25 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Welcome to freedom. Indeed. Welcome, Welcome home. Word. Well, I guess we'll close it out with our final comments. Either of you brothers want to start it out? Yeah. Well, I I'll, can go. I'll, uh, let me just say this. Uh, we got. I'm looking at a map that's showing, and I'll put this link back up, uh, that's showing the states because I think this is important for people that are going to vote. Um, something you can work on locally if you don't like either one of the presidential candidates you can still locally vote uh, state of Maine, looking at legalizing marijuana uh, overall medical and personal use Massachusetts, marijuana legalization medical and personal Florida, medical marijuana legalization Arkansas, medical marijuana legalization North Dakota medical marijuana legalization Montana, medical marijuana legalization California uh, marijuana legalization overall Um, Nevada medical or uh, marijuana legalization overall and then also Arizona looking at marijuana legalization overall so people you you got a chance to do what Colorado did to do what some of the other places are doing turn it around turn it around peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors word 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 Yes, yes. Um, Again, we provide you with so much information that other um, um, journalists have gathered this information. And even if they don't put it in the proper context of slavery, it's still evidence of slavery. Uh, Just going back to the ridiculous stuff that Comey was saying, you know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So I throw that at you. That 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 mind bender right there. So there again, this is a slavery denier of the worst kind. We cannot tolerate the denial of slavery. Jews don't tolerate the denial of Holocaust and people commend them for it. So when we come across people that want to um, deny the ongoing Holocaust of slavery on this continent, that's affecting all of us now. Um, we have to treat them just like how those slavery, I mean, Holocaust deniers are are treated. We need to hit them with cat calls, what, whatever. Shout them down, whatever, whatever way. Death by a thousand paper cuts. So uh, um, that's all I got for you tonight. I hope that we converted some new abolitionists. I don't see how you can be confronted with the fact that slavery has never been abolished and, and not instantly be converted to abolitionism unless you're a slaver and you're okay with Amen. it. Um, I'm just going to close out by saying this. It's very important that you understand what we're dealing with. And by doing, to, in order to do so, you have to put yourself into the shoes of people who have lived through this. You have to see it through their eyes. So I would highly suggest that everybody listening to the sound of my voice read two particular books. One, 
Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, written by Harriet Jacobs, and also uh, Narrative of Frederick Douglass, written by himself. So those two books are available. They're free in audio and in text. There is no reason why you can't get a hold of them right now if you wanted to. So I think that it's very important that you see these perspectives firsthand and then see the very uh, close similarities of what they dealt with then and what we're dealing with now. And I also want you to remember one other thing. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up 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 r